Hey, my name is James. I'm the pastor of The Rising, and I am so excited that you've tuned in. This is our podcast. Welcome. I hope uh, this message that you hear is going to inspire you, encourage you, and motivate you to grow closer to God. I hope you lean forward with an expectant attitude, and remember, you're changed not by the word that you hear, but by the word that you do. So get ready to put into practice this word. Come on, let's listen. Well, I uh, figured I'd dress up today. Some of y'all might be here for the first time and you're like, wait, I thought I didn't know this was a traditional church. Um, yep, it's not. Uh, I figured I'd wear a fourfold costume today. Uh, I told my wife, I said I could look like an Episcopal preacher right now uh, with a robe on. I could also look like, um, see, I can play four different things. I could be an Episcopal preacher. I could be uh, a member of a Baptist choir. Well, <laughs> figure I got a choir robe on, you know. Um, I also said I could be um, Violet Beauregard from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. You're turning Violet, Violet. But really what I wanted to do today, my hope was to come across as one of the, the rarest creatures to be seen this year. And that is a graduate of 2020, wearing a cap and gown, walking across stage, because it didn't happen. So for all of our 2020 graduates, I'm sorry for you, but I am representing for you. Stay strong. You got this. All right. Um, and I told Irene, I said, uh, Irene's my wife, I said, I don't, I don't know if I could preach with this on because um, if I was watching me looking like this the whole time, I would just feel like I'm in uh, some Catholic church somewhere or he's about to break out into a sister act song. So I'm going to take this off if that's okay. And uh, is that okay? Yeah. Don't look at me now. <laughs> she said, <laughs> never mind, I won't tell you what my wife said when I was taking this off. Anyway. Um, so 2020, this is the year of the census. Uh, census came out this year, and uh, the census is where the government is trying to assess how many people live in certain spots, trying to assess the, the demographic of, of certain areas. They're, they're taking an assessment to see what needs to happen in the future. And, and I wonder if, if you've ever been in a place in your life where you've just stopped and you've assessed the situation that you've been in and wondered, how did I get here? I mean, you've just been plodding along in life, going down this path, and I wonder if you've gotten to a point where you just said, how did I, how did I end up here? And maybe, maybe for you, it was a good thing, like you look, and, and you say, I've been married to this woman for the past 14 years. How did I get so lucky to land her, right? Or, or, or maybe you look at your situation, and you say, I'm so grateful to be the dad of these kids. I mean, they just bring me so much joy and hope. Maybe you look at your situation with your job, uh, where you live, you look at your financial situation and you say, this is just so amazing. I can't, I can't believe I am where I am. Have you ever had these moments where you just stop and you assess the situation and you say, everything in life is, like if things were any better, I'd be in heaven. Maybe, maybe that's the case for, for some, but, but I think for most of us, uh, we stop and we assess the situation and we might see some good things in our life, some things that we're really proud of, some things that we really like. Um, but I wonder if for the most part, we, we look at some stuff and we, and we say, how did I get to this point in our marriage? Because I know we're supposed to be lovers, but we feel more like roommates. How did, how did we end up here? This is not the marriage that I dreamed of. I wonder if you, you look at your dating relationship and you say, yeah, I mean, he, he's okay and he's cute, but, but there's some red flags, but 
I don't know if I choose to stay with them, but the thing is I'm not lonely, and so I'll just stick it out till somebody better comes along. I wonder if you assess the situation sometimes uh, with your finances and you say, how did, how did this ever happen? How did I ever get here to this situation with, with so much debt, with, with the bills going to collections? I, I never dreamed I'd be in this spot. Maybe, maybe you've done this with your job, right? You're in a job right now and you're working it and it pays the bills, but I mean, come on, five, 10 years ago, you never imagined you'd be in this spot, but here you are now. And you figure, well, I've been in here this long, I might as well just stick it out. I mean, I'm gonna get to retire when I'm 65 and then I can really live. I wonder if you just look at your situation and you wonder, how did I get here? And you feel like you're stuck. You feel like you're just barely making it. You're just surviving. Or, or worse yet, I think there are times where we refuse to assess the situation we're in and we just stay stuck in the rut that we're in. Because if I assess it, and I see that our marriage is broken, I see that the relationship isn't working, I see that the finances aren't where I want them to be, uh, the job isn't, then I gotta do some work to change it. And I don't wanna do the work. I know, I know I should assess where I am, but I just don't have time to do that, and if I could find the time, then I would do it, but I just don't have the time, so rather than assess anything, rather than relook at anything, I'm just gonna continue to go the way that I'm going. Do I need to use a different microphone? We're good to go? Okay, sounds good. Um, assessing the situation, that's where I was. See, sometimes I think we stop right where we are and we plot along the path with our eyes wide shut, oblivious to what we have going on in our life because again, if I, if I see that something is, is not good and, and not where I want it to be, then I have to make the move to change it. And I think, I think for most people, myself included at times, uh, we just live in survival mode where, where we just try and get by. Especially in the season of COVID-19, uh, I, I know for me, for, for so many months, it was just like, if I could just get by. I mean, every day felt like Groundhog Day, Groundhog day and if I could just get to the weekend, then I'd chalk that up to be a success, right? If I could just get to a point where I don't kill anybody in my house, then I did good. Did you feel that way? Are you feeling that way? Sometimes we just feel like we're in survival mode. But, but here's what I believe, that God has not called us to live in survival, God has called us to live in revival. And not only do I believe it, I know it because this is what Jesus said. It's in John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus said this, he said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. By the way, the enemy, Satan, the devil, he doesn't have to attack you very hard to steal and kill and destroy. If he can get you to just simply settle in survival, then he can kill your joy. He can steal your hope. And he can destroy any chance that you have of things getting better because you've simply settled in a place of stuckness and survival. Jesus said that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus said, I've come that people who would follow me, people who would know me, so that every person on this planet would have life and have it to the full. I just want to ask you this morning, are you experiencing that life to the full in every area of your life? You might be experiencing it in some areas, but are you experiencing life to the full in every area? Would you trade it for anything else? Does anything need to improve or change or shift in your life? I'm not saying you got a perfect life. But you look at who you are in your life and you say, I'm living life 
to the full. Jesus said, I've come to give you life to the full. And throughout this series, we've been camping out on this idea that God gives us the choice to choose either survival or revival. And ultimately, what we'll experience, survival or revival, is up to us. It's up to you. You are not a victim of your circumstances. If you're simply surviving here and now, it's because you've chosen to survive here and now. The results you're getting are a result of the systems you're following, of the mindsets that you have, of the attitude that you've adopted. And we've discovered that we can choose revival if we'll just reach out and grab hold of it. Here's, here's, how, God puts, here's how God puts the predicament to us. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. He says, this day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now, choose life so that you and your children may live. So you and I have a choice. There's two choices on the table, either life or death, revival or survival, and it's up to us. And what we've been doing throughout this series is we've been going through practical steps for us to adopt and implement in our life so that we can experience revival. But what we've said is that revival is going to require work. And if you're not willing to put in the hard work that leads to revival, then you won't see it. And so the choice is ours to make. And some of the greatest changes that take place in our life happen when we stop and assess. So for so many of us, we just go, go, go in life, and we have our plate filled with all sorts of things, and God says, I've, I've given you survival or revival. you got to choose. But in order for us to choose that, we got to stop and assess the situation. we got to stop and see where we are and see that the choice of revival is right there in front of us. Because when we stop and assess, when we reflect on our marriage, when we look at the way that we're rearing our children, when we look at our goals and our plans and our hopes and our dreams, when we look at our, 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 our job, when we look at the relationships in our life, when we stop and assess that, it helps us see where we need to go. And some of the greatest revivals that have taken place in all of history have taken place because somebody stopped and assessed the situation. Now, when they stopped and assessed the situation, it didn't mean that they knew what to do. Because sometimes they just looked and they said, oh my goodness, we're in this spot that we don't want to be. Something's got to change. I don't know what's going to change. I don't even know what the outcome is going to be, but I know that I got to do something. I can't stay stuck in this mode of survival. I have got to do something. And this is actually what took place uh, about 500 years ago during the Protestant Reformation. The Protestant Reformation was one of the greatest revivals to ever take place in church history, aside from when the church first began 2,000 years ago. And so I want to give you a little bit of history on the Protestant Reformation. And, and I know for so many of you, you're like chomping at the bit for this, because you woke up this morning and you thought to yourself, oh man, I hope we go over some church history today, right? So just hold your excitement. I know the enthusiasm is oozing, but stay with me. So about 2,000 years ago, and, and I preached on this last week, the church was first born. It was born on the day of Pentecost. God's spirit flooded this room. Uh, Jesus' early disciples went out into the streets. They started preaching about Jesus, telling people about Jesus, and 3,000 people got baptized that day. They accepted the word about God. They said yes to him, and they were baptized into him. And then the, the church was born. It was this powerful movement, and revival took place all over Roman-occupied Israel. And then churches started cropping up all over the Roman world. And as time went on, 
what happened was the church, which was known as the Catholic Church, and not the Catholic Church like you know today, but the Catholic Church uh, is different in that the word Catholic means universal. And so back then there was one church, there was a universal church. Again, the word Catholic means universal, not like Catholic like you think about today. But there was a, univer a universal church, there was one church in many different locations. So there was one church in many different cities and regions, and there was this one central place of power and one central seat of power, and the person who was in power was known as the Pope. And what happened, as time went on over hundreds and hundreds of years, as people are in places of power that are unchecked, uh, that power began to get corrupt. And people began to pursue power just for power's sake, and the main thing no longer was the main thing anymore. And as time went on, uh, the mission of seeing people raised to life in Christ was no longer the mission. The mission became, how can we uh, gain influence and power and gain wealth? And this is the direction that the church began to take. And it was in the 1400s and 1500s that this guy named Martin Luther took a look at the scenario and the scene of the church, and he said, this isn't right. Something has got to change. There were all kinds of things that were, that were wrong and corrupt, uh, and, and there was all kinds of hypocrisy that was taking place in the church. I'll just share with you two instances. One was um, this banquet that took place on October 30th uh, in 1501. The banquet was called the Banquet of Chestnuts, and uh, Césaire, who is the son of Pope Alexander at the time, held this banquet in the papal palace. And so they had the banquet, but the entertainment after the banquet was 50 prostitutes that were brought in. And I won't go into the details of, of what took place that night, but at the end of the night, awards were given to people who could connect with as many prostitutes as possible that night. And this took place in the papal palace. The Pope was in attendance. Do you see the hypocrisy here? And so this was going on with the church at that time. And then uh, a little bit later, there was this idea from the Pope about uh, constructing the greatest church the world had ever seen. It was going to be St. Peter's Basilica. Michelangelo was actually one of the engineers for St. Peter's Basilica. And so he had this idea, we're going we're gonna to construct this massive building. It's going to be the greatest church building that, that the world has ever seen. But in order for them to do that, it was going to cost a lot of money. So they had to figure out a way to raise money. And what they did was they sold what was known as indulgences. And an indulgence was essentially this get-out-of-hell-free card. And the idea was this. They said, when you buy these indulgences... You're doing a good work by giving, contributing to the construction of this church building. So as you buy these indulgences, you're doing some good works. You're going to earn a spot in heaven. And the idea with indulgences was, wait, people could buy their way into heaven, and that's nowhere in the scriptures. And then this, this uh, theological professor and monk, Martin Luther, saw some of the corruption and the hypocrisy that was taking place in the church. And he said, this isn't right. Like, like, I've got to do something about this. I mean, they're having these crazy banquets in the papal palace. They're selling salvation to people. It's not even right. We've got to do something. So, so he assessed the situation. And again, when the church first began, it was this great, powerful, amazing thing. But as time went on, they plotted down this path. 
And Martin Luther got to a point where he said, how did we get here? This, this is not how things are supposed to be. Much like maybe you take a look at your marriage and you say, how did we get here? We don't even talk. Or when we do talk, it's just about logistics and who's picking up who and who's doing what. Much like you may look at your, your financial situation and you say, I never, I never imagined I would have amassed this much debt. How did I get here? Much like you may look in the mirror and you're disgusted at what you see and you say, how did I, I used to love who I was, but now I'm depressed, I'm insecure, I'm, how did I get here? This is what Martin Luther did. He looked at the state of the church and he said, how did we get here? And so what he did was he drafted up his 95 thesis and um, church history, church legend, says that he nailed the 95 thesis to the All Saints Church door in Wittenberg. And uh, much like the shot heard round the world was said to be the beginning of the American Revolution, Martin Luther nailing these 95 theses was the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. And so here was a guy. <laughs> who looked at the situation, and he said, I don't know how we got here, but this is not where we should be, and I've got to do something. Something has got to change. And one of the greatest revivals that ever took place in the history of the church began with that. But Martin Luther wasn't the first person to, to come up with that, this idea of assessing situations and saying, how did we get here? Uh, this has been going on for all of history, and I wanna show you one instance in the Old Testament, it's found in 1 Samuel chapter 14, um, where a guy looked at the situation, he assessed where he was, he reevaluated things, and he said, how did we get here? We gotta change this. The guy, his name is Jonathan, but before I show you the situation that took place there, I wanna show you just how bad things were in this moment. See, Saul was the king of Israel, and Saul was the first king of Israel. He was at war with the Philistines, and uh, his army was decimated. Here's, here's the situation. It's actually a few verses uh, ahead of 1 Samuel chapter 14. It says this, Not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel, because the Philistines had said otherwise, the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So all Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plow points, mattocks, axes, and sickles sharpened. The price was two-thirds of a shekel for sharpening plow points and mattocks, and a third of a shekel for sharpening forks and axes and for repointing goads. So on the day of the battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. So here we are. Saul and Jonathan are in this army, this army of Israel, by the way, there's only 600 soldiers in the entire army, and they're the only ones with the swords. They're fighting the Philistines. Things are so bad <clears throat> that the people of the army of Israel have no weapons, but they're fighting with pitchforks. They're fighting with axes. And on top of that, for them to get their pitchforks and axes sharpened, they have to go to the enemy to have them sharpened, and they have to pay them to sharpen it. Hey, can you, um, can you sharpen my axe so that I can kill you with it later? Like, like, this is the situation, right? So they're going to the enemy. They're begging them to sharpen their, their farming tools, their woodworking tools, so that they could go to battle. Saul and Jonathan are the only ones with the swords. They're decimated. They're defeated. And I want you to see how Saul was handling the whole situation. It says, Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah, 
under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men. Saul and the army of Israel are defeated. Saul is so decimated in life. He's looking at the situation. He's given up. He's he's napping underneath a pomegranate tree because he just can't see any way up. The nation of Israel is at the point where the divorce papers have been handed over. The nation of Israel is at the point where the bills have gone to collections. This is is the moment where you, you get the foreclosure notice in the mail. This is the moment where you step on the scale and you see a number higher than you've ever seen before. And you just wonder, how did I get here? How did this happen? This is, this is unbelievable. And it's in those moments that many people give up and quit. It's in those moments that many people just recline under a pomegranate tree and take a nap and say, it is what it is. But I want to ask you this morning, are you one of those people? Are you one of those people who, look, I I know life has dealt you a crap hand. I know you've experienced some stuff you wish you could take back. I know you're in a position right now you wish you were never in. But the question you have to answer is, what are you going to do about it? Will you be like Saul? Hold your hands, recline, take a nap and say whatever. Or will you be like Jonathan, who looks at the situation and he says, this is not good. This is not right. And I don't know what to do, but I have got to do something. Because staying stuck in survival mode is going to lead to my death. Staying stuck in this rut that we're in is not going to give me the future that I want to live. Who will you be? Saul or Jonathan? Will you choose survival? A revival, because it is your choice. Here's, here's what happens with Jonathan. Jonathan is Saul's son. He's, he's a little younger. He's, he's more audacious. He's, he's a bit bolder than his dad, Saul. So he assesses the situation, and he's fed up with it. He said, this isn't right. I've got to do something. And so what he does is this. It says, one day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side but he did not tell his father. I'll just, Jonathan goes to his friend, the armor bearer, this guy that he's fought in battles with before. He goes to him and he says, hey, let's go pick a fight with the Philistines because I'm looking around and all I see is defeat. But I think there's a way forward. I think there's another way. So what do you say, let's go pick a fight. And I want you to notice that it says he did not tell his dad. Because sometimes you know who not to tell your plans to. Because sometimes you tell the wrong person. You're talking to a naysaying Nancy who's going to try and talk you out of it. And I'm not talking about using wisdom. I'm just talking about they can't stand to see you succeed, so they'll pull you down. It said that Jonathan told his armor bearer, but he didn't tell his dad. He tells him the plan. And here's the thing, Jonathan doesn't know if the plan is going to work. He just knows what he looks 
when, when he looks around and he assesses the situation, he's like, this is not how things should be and all I see is defeat around me and I can't just simply sit and sleep under a pomegranate tree. I can't settle for survival. I've got to do something. So come on, let's go. And his armor bearer said, I'm with you. <clears throat> Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. I don't know if the marriage is gonna get fixed. I don't know if the relationship is gonna be saved. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to avoid bankruptcy. I don't know if we're gonna be able to save the house. I don't know if I'm gonna lose the weight like I want to. I don't know, but perhaps God will come through. Perhaps, perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Can I just help you understand this? When you act, God acts. See, if Jonathan just sat under the pomegranate tree with his dad, nothing would have happened. But because he decided to act, a revival is about to take place. I wonder what revival God wants to bring about in your life and he's just sitting back waiting for you to stop sitting back and start doing something. I wonder what revival God wants to bring about in your life, but he's just waiting for you to act. Here, I'll give you one example that we see from scriptures. God says, when we exercise generosity, when we return the tithe and bring an offering into his house, he said, then I'll open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, you won't know what to do with it. And so the idea is revival is just behind the door, but when we act in generosity, that door gets open. So we're saying, God, bless me. God, I want a revival. God, I want to see some change in my life. And God is saying, okay, you take the first step. You make the move. I wonder how many of us are waiting on God and God is waiting on us. Did my church not show up today? This is too tough. I get it. I know some of y'all are new here, and you're like, what? What's going on? And then, and then others are, I, I don't know. But this is a church. I've just preached better when you talk back to me, you know? And maybe, maybe since we've been in the brewery and since we've been in COVID and I hadn't done a good job telling you that, I, I don't know. But I just wonder if God is waiting for us to act, but we're the ones waiting for him to act. He said, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And I love this response from the armor bearer, do all that you have in mind. Go ahead, I'm with you, heart and soul. Heart and soul. Hey, I don't know if this is gonna work, it might be crazy, but we gotta do something. And so both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Hey, Jonathan, what's your plan? I know, let's reveal ourselves to them. No, how about, how about we sneak in? Can, is that a plan, Jonathan? No, we're gonna show them who we are. So they both show, <laughs> this is a stupid plan. You gotta be stealthy. So they both showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines. The Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they're hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. And then it said, Jonathan climbed up using his hands and his feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. 
In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. So it worked. It worked. Jonathan said, I got a crazy plan. Let's go fight the Philistines. They go fight the Philistines, and it worked. But here's what I want to point out from the passage. It said that Jonathan and his armor bearer climbed up the cliff using their hands and their feet. They didn't float up the cliff. They didn't ride an escalator up the cliff. They didn't take an elevator up the cliff. But they climbed up using their hands and their feet. Sometimes we want revival to be handed to us on a silver platter. But I point this out because I want you to see that revival requires work. I know you want to see a change in your life, but are you willing to work for it? If not, don't expect a change. Jonathan and his armor bearer climbed up using their hands and their feet. I want my marriage to be great, but I don't want to go to counseling. I don't want to have the hard conversations that I need to have. I want my finances to be great, but I'm not willing to cut the spending. I'm not willing to work on a budget. I want to meet more friends, but I'm not willing to go out and put myself out there and be sociable. I want to, I want to love myself better, but I'm not willing to remind myself of what God says about me versus what I say about me. See, revival requires work. Jonathan and his armor bearer climb up using their hands and their feet, and I want to point this out to you too. Again, they showed themselves to the Philistines. The Philistines saw them coming up. The Philistines saw their enemy coming up, and they tossed taunts at them. But I wonder what else they tossed at Jonathan and his armor bearer as they made their way up the cliff. Again, these are guys. These are soldiers. They're seeing their enemy climb up the cliff. I wonder what they tossed down on them. What objects? what bodily fluids they may have tossed down on them. I just point this out, because if you wanna see revival take place in your life, it requires work. And sometimes as you're clawing and scratching and climbing to see revival, you might find yourself in a crap storm. And everything is going wrong. But you gotta hold out. You gotta keep pressing. You can't give up. You got to keep climbing because I know it's difficult, but if revival is going to come through, you got to keep climbing. It's just on the other side of the cliff. So I wonder, are you willing to fight for your marriage or are you just going to give up on it? Are you willing to fight for your finances? Are you just going to give up? Are you willing to set some boundaries and set some standards? in your dating relationship and say, if you really love me, you'll wait because it requires work. Are you willing to look in the mirror and say, the devil is a liar, but God's word is true and I am who God says I am and I'm gonna walk in that identity and not the identity of what my mom said to me growing up, of what my dad said to me growing up, of what those kids said to me growing up. I carry all this baggage, but not any longer because I'm clawing for revival. I refuse to live in survival. I gotta climb, even if it takes using my hands and feet even if crap gets showered down on me. I'm going to keep climbing. And here's what's amazing. Jonathan and his armor bearer, they climb up. They act, and because they acted, God acted on their behalf. 
and those Philistines were destroyed. And then they, they move on, and then there's ruckus, and there's more fighting. There's, there's, there's this battle that takes place. And then Saul, uh, 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 an outlook down where, where Saul is, sees the ruckus that's happening up on top of the cliff. And he tells Saul, it says this, Then Saul and all his men assembled and went to the battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. Those Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines and had gone up with them in their camp went over to the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. So on that day, the Lord saved Israel and the battle moved on beyond Beth Avin. So that day, what happened is Jonathan assessed the situation. And he said, I, I can't live with this because I'm just living in survival right now. And I've got to do something. Listen, I know you're going to start the diet on Monday. Will you do it? I know you're going to hit the gym on Monday, but you've been saying that for the past month. Will you finally do it? I know. I know you your wife, you, I, I know you and your parents have been having this disagreement, and on Thanksgiving it's coming up, you don't even, you're dreading it, you're not even wanting to talk, but I wonder if now's the time where you just assess the situation and you say, okay, I need to forgive, I need to have that hard conversation with them. I just wonder if you look at your career and you say, I put too much time in to do something I don't love. Do I need to go back to school? Do I need to change something in my life? What do I need to do so that I can do what I love and get paid for and make a career out of that? Look, if you wanna see revival in your life, it's gonna take hard work. It's gonna take effort. Here's the deal, you got two choices. Stay where you are. Stay where you are. Doesn't bother me. That's your life. Stay doing what you're doing. Or, Assess the situation. Say, how on earth did I get here? This is not the marriage we dreamed of. But we're not quitting. This is, this is not where I pictured myself in 10 years. But I don't have to be in the same place 10 years from now. This is not what I imagined. But it's okay because I'm dreaming up a whole new future. And I am going to do whatever it takes to get there. Today is the day. You have two choices on the table before you. Life or death. Revival or survival. It's your call. It's your call. I don't know about you, but I'm choosing revival. I'm choosing life. I'm choosing to climb up even if I gotta use my hands and my feet. Would you pray with me? God, I wanna thank you so much for your grace and your mercy and your love. God, there's some people in this room right now who are stuck. And they've been coming to church for a while. They've been taking notes on this stuff. They've even been sitting through this series, but would you reveal to them today the reason why they're stuck is because they haven't acted on what they've heard? 
And God, I pray you give them the courage to act today. Give them the discipline to act today. God, I don't know what else I could have done. I don't know how else I could have preached to try and move us to action. So I just pray that you bless what's been said. I pray that you open up our hearts, open up our minds, and that you would allow the seed that's been shared today to be planted in fertile ground. And I pray that before we leave, we come up with at least one action step, one difficult conversation we need to have, one thing that we need to do to see change in our life. Because we don't want to be where we are a week from now, a month from now. We don't want to stay stuck in this spot. So God, today, would you move like only you can? Change us, transform us, and make clear what the next step is as we move forward to act, to climb towards revival. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in. I pray you were inspired, encouraged, and motivated by what you heard and I'm so grateful you had a chance to listen and I'm also so grateful for everyone who financially gives to the work of this ministry so that we can continue to do the work that we do and get the word out like we do and I want to invite you if you're encouraged or blessed by this ministry to consider giving if you haven't already also be sure to check us out at wearetherising.com follow us on social media see how you can get involved and go from uh, being someone who watches to being someone who's involved. Again, thanks again for tuning in, and I pray that this is the best week ever coming up, because what we know is the best is yet to come.